Thank you for tuning in to this, the inaugural episode of Travel the Bible. I am the Reverend Neil Brooks, and I would like to invite you on a journey through the Bible with me. We'll travel through all 66 books of the Bible, stopping along the way to tell stories, some of which you have heard before, and others that may be entirely new to you. Our journey begins this week with a look at Genesis. It is my hope that we can take this journey together each week. Content will include my weekly sermons and maybe some extras here and there. So please join with me and let us travel the Bible. Our scripture passage this week comes from Genesis chapter 25, verses 23 through 34. I will be reading out of the New International Version. Passages as follows. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up. Esau became a successful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick! Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. And Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said, so what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. I chose to start our biblical journey this week with a story that's one of my favorites from Genesis. It may not be the most theologically important or the most meaningful all by itself, but it is relatable. Maybe some of you can, but I personally cannot relate to Noah building an ark, gathering all the animals, and thereby running the world's first zoo while trapped on a boat. It's a great and very meaningful story, but I cannot relate to it. I wanted to start us off with a story that many of us can relate to and that many of us have heard before. Now, this is seemingly... A fairly simple story of sibling rivalry. We have Esau, the eldest, being tricked by his younger brother Jacob. Esau, by being born first, was designated the rightful heir to two-thirds of everything that their father owned. He was also designated to be the recipient of God's covenant with Abraham by way of the blessing given to him by his father before he dies, just as Isaac received it from his father. Now, of course... This wasn't too great a situation for Jacob, as he was to receive almost nothing when his father died. Despite the fact that they were born on the same day, at basically the exact same time. Now, when we break down this story, 
doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. If we think about it, Jacob was in the process of making stew. Stew, presumably, would be for dinner, and he would have fed the whole family. So Esau just has to wait a little while, and he's going to eat the stew for free. But instead of waiting, he needs that soup right now. If you've ever paid for same-day or next-day shipping, you know that right now tends to be expensive. For Esau, a simple bowl of stew cost him his entire monetary inheritance. Now, to explore that inheritance, we'll find that Esau gave up quite a lot, in fact. Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 through 14 say that Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds that the Philistines envied him. And it proceeds to say that the king of the Philistines decided that Isaac was too powerful, had too much money, and they exiled him from the land with all of his flocks and his herds and his family. So this is to say, Isaac was so rich, and therefore the birthright for Esau would have been so large as to threaten the king's status in the land. For Esau to give up all of that for a simple bowl of stew is unthinkable. I couldn't imagine. So you may be thinking that Esau was tricked. Jacob was wrong for tricking his brother. And if we read further in Genesis, what we're going to find is that Jacob also tricked his father, Isaac, and stole Esau's blessing that I mentioned previously. So Jacob's a trickster that's only in it for himself, right? Fairly simple conclusion. Now, there are other outside sources and traditions that say there's more to this story. Rabbinical texts, specifically the Midrash, expand on what is written to say that while Esau was out hunting that day, he encountered a very successful hunter named Nimrod, who was said to have a magical cloak that was originally owned by Adam, and it made him super successful in hunting, and Esau wanted it, so he murdered Nimrod before he returned that day. The base for this conclusion is, is the use of the word famished. In other translations, this word is used as faint. The other use of this particular Hebrew base word is in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 31. Woe is me, for my soul is faint before the murderers. So these sources conclude that based on this word, Esau is a murderer. And they also go on to say that Esau had denied God and committed other wicked acts the day that he gave up his birthright, which was shortly after the death of Abraham. This additional information is used to make the argument that Jacob made his decision to deceit Esau to make sure that God's covenant did not pass to someone's wicked. So now we're left to make our own decisions on the morality of this. Jacob decided to deceive his brother twice and take what was not rightfully his, but maybe he did it for the right reason. God's covenant was sacred to the family, as they were the chosen people that would make up the Israelites and eventually lead to Jesus. So it's a very important matter. 
So it's easy to say that Jacob was justified in deceiving his brother and his father because he had a good reason. If we leave it there, however, I think we miss the fact that both of them were wrong. Jacob took advantage of Esau, which was wrong, but Esau also ignored what was expected of him when he so freely gave away this birthright. Now, you know, one brother takes advantage of another, the other one ignores what he's supposed to do. It's kind of easy to ignore and move past all that when we look at it just as this one story. But this family conflict is so much larger than that, it sets the stage for thousands of years of history and struggles for the Israelites. At this point in time, the birthright contained a double portion of any inheritance and status as the ruler of the family. This was important because families were a lot more connected than they are today. After the father died, the sons would split the inheritance, but they'd still almost always live together. They would simply manage their own herds and households, but in the same area, a lot of times in the same house. So this allowed the eldest to still have control over the entire operation, growing the family's herds, flocks, wealth, and status. The eldest would also be responsible for taking care of the widows, the unmarried women, making sure the children were raised properly. They had a lot of responsibility within the family. Now today, some people still have birthrights. They still can expect to inherit large amounts of money, large tracts of land. Some may even still inherit animals and anything else you can think of. But as God's people, we have all been granted one birthright that has nothing to do with wealth, or status, nothing to do with any of that. Our birthright is so much more than that. We are born into the family of God and our inheritance is salvation. That is the birthright that God has prepared for us and all we have to do is accept it. Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now we can learn two things from this. The first is simple. Don't make a rash decision today that will cost you for the rest of your life. While I doubt that most of us, most people in general, would trade inheritance for a bowl of soup, I do think that many of us have made similar decisions in haste, maybe without the same level of consequence. How many times do people speak out in anger, saying something that irrevocably damages a relationship ruins a friendship, ends a marriage. Someone that I used to work with once told me a story that explains this concept more distinctly than anything else I could think of. They told me that when they were a teenager about 15 years ago, one of their parents, in anger, told them that they were the reason that the parents had gotten divorced. It was said in anger and likely it wasn't meant. But that's beside the point. This person carried around that sentiment for more than 15 years. While they knew, logically, that their parent was most likely just angry and didn't mean it, it didn't change anything. Those statements, those decisions that we make in anger and any heightened emotion, they matter. 
even if it doesn't seem like it at the time. So the lesson here is simple. Whether it comes to giving up your birthright for a bowl of soup or saying something hurtful to someone you love, never do something in haste that you will come to regret forever. The things we say, the promises we make, and the oaths we swear, they matter. They matter to those around us, even if we don't think that they matter to us all that much. Now, the second lesson in this story is a bit more complex. When we think of the book of Genesis, we need to remember that this book is the story of one family from creation through the flood to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. By the end of Genesis, 2,200 years have been covered, and the Israelites find themselves in Egypt. Each person in this family plays an important part in bringing the world into the future, which ultimately leads to the birth of Christ. These people, without knowing it, delivered the world from sin and death simply by existing and having children. The most perfect gift came into being because of a family that was far from perfect. These people all played a role in God's plan for the world, even though they themselves made a lot of mistakes. And if God can use these imperfect people to fulfill his perfect plan, why couldn't God use you and I to do the same? When we look at the characters throughout the Bible, many of whom we'll talk about in the coming weeks and months, a pattern emerges. From the Old Testament and the New Testament, with the exception of Jesus, everyone is flawed. The characters in the Old Testament tend to be quick to anger. They make mistakes. They sin. And some of them, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the future, do things that today we would consider detestable. The disciples made decisions in haste, not always listening to the teachings of Jesus who they were literally walking beside. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee trying to get Jesus' followers arrested and executed. What I'm trying to say, what I think we all need to hear, is that God doesn't expect us to be blemish-free. He knows that we as humans are predisposed to sin. He knows that we are going to fail to live up to the expectations and that we're not always going to follow his commandments. From the first two people, Adam and Eve, they couldn't follow one simple rule. Don't eat from that tree. The entire history of humanity's relationship with God is full of people rebelling and ignoring and making mistakes. So what does this God do each and every time someone decides to rebel? He forgives and he draws them back to him. God could punish the sinful, abandon those who abandoned him. But he doesn't and he never will. God forgives because he knows that despite our many flaws, we can still play a part in his plan for salvation we can still move the world to a better place. So this week, I invite you to remember that God forgives more often than we deserve. He has a plan for each and every one of us, 
no matter what we may think, we are enough for God. The Bible shows us just how many different kinds of people God can use to change the world. So let him use you to be the change that is needed in our communities and our world this week. Don't give up your birthright over a bowl of stew. Take hold of that birthright and use it how God intended. To leave you this week, I give you this benediction. Go in peace, share the love of Christ, and don't despise something precious for something ordinary. Amen, and thank you for joining me this week as we journey through the Bible, taking it one book at a time.